when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you, John Paul, taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And he's, John Paul has already been busy because he's had uh, some people contacting him who haven't received their social welfare payment this morning. It was due into their bank and when they went to withdraw money, they were told insufficient funds. And when they checked, their welfare payment uh, hadn't gone into their account. It seems to be the calls John Paul was getting this morning was job seekers payment. He also had a call from a carer and somebody else on invalidity payment who hadn't received payment this morning. So we've got none to the Department of Social Protection. They say they are aware of an issue with payments uh, including some social welfare payments and it seems to be affecting just permanent TSB accounts this morning. The Central Bank have advised the department that there is a delay in a large proportion of lodgements to TSB accounts this morning. So they Therefore, it's not just restricted to social welfare payments. So if you are banking with permanent TSB, you could have a problem with either the transfer of money or a lodgement into your account. But more importantly, for people who live from week to week for their payment, they are the ones uh, I think are going to be most affected this morning. Now, uh, I take it we're trying to get on to permanent TSB because it only seems to be with permanent TSB. So when we get some reaction from permanent TSB, TSB as to why, what is the problem and how soon do they hope to have that problem sorted, uh, we will get back uh, to you. Our text message and WhatsApp number is also available to you this morning at 0862 103 103. Coming up on the programme this morning, we're going to be having a chat with some local councillors who it may seem strange are against the notion of building too many houses. It almost seems like, goodness me, councillors are, because councillors are at the cold face of the housing problem and they're certainly at the cold face of long waiting lists of people on council houses. I take it, it if you asked any councillor anywhere in the country, what is the most common reason that a constituent will come to you looking for help. I take it first on the list is a need for housing. Housing lists all over the country are just getting longer and longer and longer. So councillors are doing everything in their power to either 
make sure that the voids, the vacant houses are turned are around or that the local council is buying up properties in an area are indeed building where we're hearing from one group of councillors in East Cork who are just a little bit worried that too many houses are going to be built in one area that will swamp the area and particularly an area where the necessary infrastructure may not be in place. We certainly saw during the boom times when houses were going up left, right and centre and developers just couldn't build houses quick enough. We saw the problems afterwards and we certainly saw the problems in areas where the infrastructure wasn't in place. People living in houses that don't have proper footpaths. Uh, We know of areas where the raw sewerage ends up being pumped out into the sea because houses were built and the sewerage infrastructure uh, wasn't in place. So we, we absolutely need more houses to be built. Everybody will accept that but we need proper planning to be put in place and we need to make sure that where the houses are built that the infrastructure is going to be there that, there's, that, that we are building communities so that people can live in an area and they'll be able to send their children to school there'll be adequate shops around for the people and just you know build communities sustainable communities uh, is what we need to build so we'll be discussing that uh, this morning uh, we're going to hear from a mum whose little son Jack is making the front page of the Irish Examiner today with a sweet little photograph of Jack with a small toilet seat over his head. You know these little training seats? I'm assuming that that's uh, what it is. Kind of doing what little boys do. Uh, And uh, the subsequent story of trying to get the toilet seat off the little boy's head. And I mean, many of us who've raised children or are raising children will know you need eyes in the back of your head. But this this is one of those little good news stories. It has a nice little happy ending. We'll share that on the programme uh, this morning. We're going to speak with the wonderful singer-songwriter Phil Coulter. Phil Coulter is, I think he actually kicked it off last night. It's a 26-date tour that takes him right up to... Christmas week and he's literally zigzagging all over the country. He's got a lot of fans here in Cork and he's going to play two dates in Cork. He's going to be in the Charleville Park Hotel and he's also going to be in Cork City. It's the opera house he's playing in in Cork City. So he's going to join us to talk about his uh, gold and silver uh, tour. Hard to believe that this man is 53 years in the industry. I mean, he's crossed so many generations and he's just such a lovely, warm man. I know I've had many interviews with him over the years and he just always comes across as such a nice, sweet guy. And if you've ever seen him on uh, TV and he's just got a wonderful talent and it's just... It got me thinking yesterday when I was doing some research on him in advance of the interview today, just you know, thinking of the many wonderful songs that he has written over the years. I mean, the town I love so well that he wrote about his own hometown of Derry is just an exquisite song. And then Ireland's Call. I mean, the one he did for the rugby match. We're all so prou- proud of that song. And a personal one for me has got to be uh, Score Not His Simplicity that he wrote. Didn't he write that about his own child? He had a little boy that was born, I'm sure it was with Down syndrome. He only lived, he died at a very young age. Um, and that was the song he wrote about his own special needs little boy. And then, of course, you know, the wonderful version of it by uh, Luke Kelly. I mean, it's a song, obviously, for me, being the parent of a special needs uh, child. And, uh, and of course, the song also talks about a special needs child who's blind. So it's a, it's a song that resonates with me. Actually, whenever I hear it, I always, I always get emotional when, when I hear it. It's very, very personal. Uh, to me and here's Phil Coulter the man uh, who wrote that song and then there's all the wonderful songs that just make you smile pop it on a string 
fantastic song and congratulations I mean the man must be making a fortune out of that song congratulations because he'll get royalties every time that song is is played and it's such it's, it's one of those songs that just makes you smile so he's a really ni- nice nice man if you have a question by the way I always like to do that when we're, when we're bringing on people like that uh, onto the programme particularly if there's fans out there and there's a question or maybe about a song or something you want to ask Phil Coulter get it in get it in quick because he's going to be joining us in the first hour of the uh, programme uh, we're also talking of special needs children we're going to speak with a mother who is worried about her adult son who has special needs and he goes on a bus every day to his work placement his workshop in adult services and he he had a bus escort from what I could gather we'll, we'll tease out and I'll find out more when the mum joins me on the programme from, from what John Paul is telling me he had a bus escort for five weeks because he suffers from epilepsy and obviously this mother's very worried of him you know he's out of her sight that something would happen that he would have a seizure and you know would there be somebody there trained who would know what to do obviously when he goes to his day placement there's people trained and there'll be nurses and, and whatever and staff will be trained so he's very safe once he gets to his placement and obviously he's very safe when he's at home with mum looking after him but it's the journey on the bus to and from his home to his adult placement that she's concerned about because he had an escort who would have been trained and how to deal with the seizure but then because he hasn't had a seizure for a number of weeks it was decided to remove the escort and she's just concerned and worried because you never know I mean anyone who has a child with epilepsy will tell you you never know uh, when you know come at the day come at the hour you simply don't know I was chatting with a friend of mine whose adult son has um, epilepsy he's a young adult 19 or 20 and he hasn't had a seizure for years he's on medication for his epilepsy and you know, it's almost one of the things they've forgotten about and then suddenly out of the blue three weeks ago he had a very severe seizure now he may not have another one again uh, for many many years but it just it puts it to the forefront that you always when you have a child who has epilepsy, it can happen at any any stage. And that's why this mother is a little bit concerned. So we're going to talk with her on the programme today. We'll have a member of Angarda Corner join us for this week's uh, Crime File. And then, of course, Thursday, that means we'll turn our attention to pets. And uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket in the final hour of the programme. So a lot to get to. And as always, we look forward to your interaction on the programme today. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Some of your commentary uh, coming in and issues that people want us to be talking about uh, today. I didn't get to this yesterday and I was wondering would we get commentary in on it because I was sure we would. And it is to do with the case that was reported in the Irish Examiner yesterday. It was a rape uh, trial in Cork of a young 17-year-old claimed she had been raped by a 27-year-old man. He had denied raping her in a laneway in a court and he was found not guilty by a jury of eight men and four women at the Central Criminal Court. Uh, but what caused most controversy, I suppose, about this particular case, and certainly I was reading uh, a lot of stuff online uh, on this particular case, was in the closing address, the senior counsel for the guy told the jury that they should regard, have regard for the fact that the woman, the young 17-year-old, was wearing a thong with a lace front. 
Now, obviously, people were extremely surprised that that kind of language would be used uh, in court, almost saying, you know, what what she was wearing, was she looking for it sort of a thing. And I thought, God, I really thought we were well gone from that day where somebody would say, uh, or somebody was raped, oh, well, look at what she was wearing. Look at how short her skirt was. Of course she was raped. Wasn't she asking for it kind of thing. I really thought 2018 we'd moved on from that. Anyway, a listener says, Trish, what in the name of God is going on in this country at all? For the closing argument in a rape, rape case to be to direct the jury to consider a lace thong, oh my God, have they totally lost the run of themselves? Are they saying if the victim was wearing Bridget, Sto- Bridget Jones-style knickers, then it wouldn't have been considered rape? Four women on the jury, how many of them were wearing lace underwear in court that day? And to think that the senior counsel who made that point was actually a female. They they would have been all out war if a man had said that. All the while the judge sat there and never opened her mouth. Lower and lower this country is going. A total disgrace that the poor, total disgrace that poor girl on and any and and any woman is a total disgrace that any woman should be judged on the clothes she wears on a night out. It is no invitation to any uh, man. Um, now there's no name on that particular text, but then the person is, is critical of the Irish Examiner for printing it, which I, I I think no, I think the Examiner were right to print the story. I mean, they were just printing what actually happened in court, and as I say, I saw an amount of commentary in online from both men and women. Women in the main, I think, were really disgusted with the the fact that that could be used in a rape case, that a senior barrister could stand up and use as part of the defence of the man uh, who, bear in mind, was uh, claiming he was innocent, but to think that she would actually point out the underwear that the young woman was wearing on the night. I was I was totally taken aback that that would even be allowed uh, in court today and I also see that uh, Nolene Blackwell who is the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis uh, Centre she said she wasn't surprised she said unfortunately she said she wasn't surprised that the language was used. She says when somebody goes into court as a complainant they are likely to be asked that and are likely to worry about that. She said all of these things are rape stereotypes that are used by defendants to plant a doubt in the minds of the jury taking away from the law which says that sex without consent is a uh, crime. 1850 and we're still getting commentary in um, what Leo Varadkar said about the medical staff and the medical staff over Christmas he was saying they shouldn't be allowed to take holidays over Christmas certainly into January he says the hospitals should be working flat out a lot of, of people wanted to comment on this uh, including Carol has just been on by text saying uh, Hi Patricia Michal Martin is so right Leo Varadkar is only trying to put the blame on the overworked underpaid frontline staff nurses and doctors trying to blame them for why the winter plan hasn't worked over the past few years Leo needs to put the blame at his own door as his party has failed and failed and failed again when it comes to health. There are pressures all year round in our A&Es, says Carol. It isn't just at uh, Christmas time. Andy on our Facebook says uh, Leo, what's he on about? What? He now thinks that hospitals just shot, shut up shot, shop, 
Shut up shop over Christmas. Doctors and nurses are on duty 24-7, 365 days uh, a year. While John and Cove says, in my opinion, Leo Varadkar is right. People should be working right over Christmas and into New Year. People don't just stop getting sick because it's Christmas and New Year's Eve. By the way, says John and Cove, there's never any mention for those who are working at sea all year round and they never get a mention. These are the people who are out in all types of weathers getting battered at sea. They work a 90 hour a week, a 12 hour day, many of them working seven days a week. But these people are never heard about. It's only those working on land that seem to get all of the airtime. Those that do work at sea are also poorly paid. In my opinion, every place should be open on Christmas Day. We need to stop this ban on closing places on Christmas Day. Ah, John, would you come on? Would you let Christmas Day be for families? I certainly wouldn't be in favour of opening everything on Christmas Day. Uh, Pat says, uh, talking about Leo Varadkar and the rest of the TDs, they will get two months off for their summer holidays. They're back one month when they'll take two weeks off for Halloween and then they'll take at least three weeks to a month off for Christmas. Somebody would want a full whack all right, says Pat. Uh, Ken on Twitter uh, says, so is Leo Radko going to cancel his three weeks off at Christmas? He has been totally hypocritical. And Margaret says, I think Leo is right about the holidays at Christmas. It's the patients that are important. So those who need the care at Christmas should be given priority and nurses and doctors should work around their patients instead of thinking about holidays and thinking about their own families. Okay, that's some of the commentary uh, that we have had in about that argument rumbles on because I know the Irish Medical Organisation, they came out and said that annual leave is not the reason why Irish hospitals are overcrowded. Representatives of the medical profession reacted to Leo Varadkar and his comments about Christmas holiday breaks. The IMO says overcrowding is not caused by staff holidays, but it's down to capacity and it's down to resources. And the war of word comes as the country's emergency department are getting ready for what they already say is going to be a very, very busy winter. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. And just an update on that item we mentioned at the top of the programme which is some calls that we're getting in from people uh, who went to try to get a payment from the bank this morning. They were expecting a social welfare payment to discover it's not in their account and we discovered there was some problem this morning it seems to be just affecting permanent TSB accounts. It's not just affecting social welfare payments. Uh, by the way, the Central Bank of Ireland uh, have told us that the there is a delay in a, a large proportion of lodgements to permanent TSB. So it's not just social welfare, uh, but obviously it's social welfare recipients who were contacting us this morning. So we've gotten on to permanent TSB and the bank are aware of the issue. <laughs> we thought there might be. Uh, with customers not receiving payments this morning and permanent TSB are currently investigating. This is a matter of prior so hopefully whatever glitch has happened they will have it sorted sooner rather than later if we get anything back from them before the close of the programme we will bring it to you councillors in East Cork are seeking a test case to be taken against on board Planola to prevent it from granting planning permission for hundreds of houses as they claim it will swamp the village of Glanthorne. Joining me with the views of the local councillors is Fine Gael councillor Anthony Barry. Good morning Jan 
morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, most councillors will be begging for houses to be uh, to be guilt, to be built. So this, I take it, is an objection because the infrastructure is not in place. You're you're afraid the area simply won't be able to cope. Is that the case? Well, I suppose there are two aspects to this, Patricia. Um, we're talking about a village in downtown. Um, many people may be aware of it. It's uh, it would be uh, just about seven or eight miles to the east of uh, Cork City. It's a very, very small village. Um, essentially, it's not even really a village. It's a church uh, with a shop, uh, Fitzpatrick's shop, a lot of people might know it, and a pub. And it's, it's an area that has grown phenomenally in the last um, number of years anyway, to about 500 units. Uh, that's residential units. And in the period, we're, we are very conscious that it is near the... Um, train station, it has, it has real access. And uh, in the local area plan, we allowed that it could grow by a further 400 units, which is quite large. When you, it's nearly a doubling of the um, number of, of residential units in that area. And we were conscious of that because of the rail link. But we're also conscious of the fact that it has very few actual community facilities. And EBP um, through this new fast-tracking process, uh, already the 400 units are applied for. And we could be looking at, and because ABP can tear up the local area plan essentially through this process, we could be looking at six or 700 units going in there, which is totally unsuitable if the proper infrastructure or road infrastructure, but also community infrastructure isn't put in place in that time. And our job is to build, I believe, sustainable communities, and this is not doing it. So in the local area plan, you would have said what? Maximum 400 houses. That's correct, Patricia, yeah. We were, we were saying 400 units, um, 400 houses in the period of the local area plan, which has another three years to go. And you, you're already over that 400? The applications that are in at the moment are just in excess of 400. But that's not allowing for the fact that there is a lot of other zone land um, that I know developers are looking at at the moment. So you could quite easily be hitting six or 700 um, because of this fast-tracking process. Essentially, on board and order can, through this fast-tracking process, in any application over 100 houses, can bypass the local area plan. And I think that is, to be honest with you, totally outrageous. We also find um, a problem with the fact that the density issues that were uh, arising all over East Cork, and indeed all over Metropolitan Cork, where on board and order are essentially nearly doubling, in some cases, the densities that are going in from Cork County Council, which, again, I don't believe is good for developing uh, sustainable communities. So why w- why was this fast tracking? Fast tracking means, therefore, that if you're if, if developers building over hundred houses, they don't have to go near the local authority for local planning. Not really. They can apply directly to both and all. Now there is an input from the local authority, obviously, um, but in the end of the day, that's an input the same as it comes from anybody else. So. The local authority will put an observation in. Um, I have noticed that there was a, a situation in Cove recently where the local authority uh, objected to a development in uh, in Cove, and it was upheld by Morton Order. But again, a lot of that part of it was because density wasn't high enough. So a lot of the applications that are going to Morton Order um, are being returned simply because the density is not high enough. And I think that is something that we, we have to be very aware of. Uh, there is not a demand for apartment living and, and very high-density living in the metropolitan Cork area. I don't believe there's a need for it. And when you're hitting up around 50 units per hectare, 
I just you're you're talking about developing a Cherrywood or an Adamstown type development in parts of uh, Metropolitan Cork, which I think there is not a demand for. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any anybody would um uh, would would want that. Um, it's it just it just seems crazy that the it's almost like the lo- the local area plans. Why why do we even have a local area plan if you can have it fast if you can have this new system fast tracked by Amborplanola? I suppose really the housing crisis has created a knee jerk reaction, and that's quite understandable. We all know the situation, and we don't have to go over that again because it's presented to us on a daily basis, and we as councillors know it better than anyone else. But this is kind of like a knee jerk reaction that was brought in place to fast track housing development, and that's understandable to a point. But cannot have a situation. We, we made mistakes and, and we go back to situations, buildings that were put up in the 60s and 70s and which caused huge problems socially and did not develop good communities. And we have to avoid that at all costs. And I think at the moment there was a view there that if we can get this building up and running as quickly as possible, that um, you know, it will be a panacea and the cure all ills and we'll have housing faster. But in fairness, there, there's a process there and that process is there for a reason. And it gives communities an opportunity to see how they're developing. It gives people the opportunity to object, if that be the case, or make submissions or observations to improve on what's going in there. And like, as a local authority, I believe it's fundamentally our responsibility to develop our communities in a sustainable way. And I just feel that this fast-tracking, it, it's okay if, on board and all, we're taking you know, on account the communities that these applications going into. But when you're looking at some of the densities and some of the developments, and downtown is a prime example of this, um, where really it's kind of take the gloves off, let's shove in as many houses as we can, and we'll worry about the infrastructure. And as on infrastructure, I mean the road infrastructure, which in the downtown case is falling at the moment, but also um, the community infrastructure. You need to put facilities in place um, so that a community can, can develop and build a sustainable um, environmental fashion as well, you know. How are local people reacting to the news? There's obviously huge concerns because downtown would have been an area, as I've said below, it hasn't really got it. You're looking at downtown if this goes ahead, um, to bring it back to the North Cork area, an area bigger than one of them. Yet, there's only one shop there, a pub there that rumours have it that are closing. Um, the church, and that's it. So you, you've got a very... The, the community centre there is a community centre that was an old school built in the last about two centuries ago, and that's the community centre, and a parish centre. Essentially, that is it. There is nothing else. So if you look at an area like that becoming bigger than Butterman, which is a town in its own right, a market town, and I really have an issue about that, that if we want to play in all that housing, put in the facilities as well, and do it now, don't do it afterwards. Don't do it, in a, you know, retrospectively and trying to get the, the whole thing, you know, a mishmash together then at a later stage. Yeah, and we have to learn from mistakes that were made, particularly during during the boom. I mean, what we need to be focused on uh, is building sustainable communities. That's the, the And that is the way forward. And that's, that's where people want to live. Of course, it's what we want to live. We also have another issue. I mean, if you look at the entire East Cork area, and the railway has been a fantastic addition to the infrastructure and the transport of, of people coming from East Cork into the city, as it will be heading up to Manor eventually when that is built, and all the way out to Mallow. 
But that is not an excuse to cram people in. These ties into these developments. And there is nowhere in the entire East Cork area where people can actually have a, a development where they can build their own house, for example. All we're looking at now in the complete East Cork area is uh, three bedroom semi Ds, if you're lucky enough, duplexes, terraced housing, and apartments. Okay, all right. And you're going to bring this test case um, to on board Planola? Well, that's, we'll see how it's going to develop um, at a later stage. We're meeting, um, the councils, local councils are meeting with the planning department um, in a couple of weeks' time uh, with the count on residents. Um, we have, I know, been putting huge pressure on uh, in English. And, um, you know, councils, this is not a unique uh, problem just in the Cork region. Uh, yeah, this is this is not this is happening nationwide. It's happening nationwide. I, there's a WhatsApp group of indicator councillors, and I threw that issue out a, a couple of weeks ago about densities and both and all are coming back with these increased densities. And I got people back from Limerick, Leeds, Dublin, Wicklow, Wexford, Galway, all with the same issue. And it is a huge. It's, a, it's actually a stifling development, right, Patricia, because we've got developers that are already shovel ready to go and start these projects. And when Borkton Auto comes back and says, no, you have to increase density by talking to property percent, these developers are saying it's not viable to do so. And even if it is, we have to redraw our plans. And it's 18 months further down the road before we can turn on the side. So it is actually what Borkton Auto are doing, actually stoking development in many areas. Okay, all right, we'll leave it there and we'll touch base with you again, um, Anthony, if there's any update on this story. In the meantime, thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fine Gael, uh, East Cork uh, Councillor Anthony Barry, 1850-333-103. The latest from permanent TSB on the payments issue this morning. They say, while well, the vast majority of payments due to permanent TSB customer accounts have proceeded as normal this morning, a technical issue has meant a delay in payments due to be made to certain accounts it isn't affecting everybody. The bank is currently working to resolve the issue and they expect the payments to be completed later today. They apologise to customers impacted by this issue and they assure them that they are working to resolve it as quickly as possible. And so ends the latest statement from permanent uh, TSB to some people this morning who are discovering when they go to the bank the money isn't in their account, particularly people with um, some social welfare payments. 1850 333 103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp 086 6210 We're going to take a break and we are back chatting with the wonderful Phil Coulter. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. The Charleville Park Hotel on November 18th will host an evening with the wonderful Phil Coulter to chat about his upcoming concert. The man himself, Phil Coulter, joins me. Good morning to you, Phil. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. And actually, when I checked yesterday, you were also the night before going to be in the Opera House in Cork on Saturday the 17th. Yeah, we have uh, we have a bunch of concerts. I think Cork is the only county in Ireland where I, where, where I do. Um, we're doing the Opera House on the Saturday the 17th and Charleville the next day. And then a week or so later, we're in Ballymaloo. So that's that's three within uh, within ten. Must must tell you something about my affection for the county of Cork. I'll absolutely, you. absolutely. You're celebrating fifty three years in music, and you're doing a twenty six date nationwide tour. You obviously never tire of the live performances. No, because you know it's what it is. It's kind of energizing. You know, I mean, um, composing um, is a pretty solitary 
uh, pursuit, Patricia, you know. But the great thing about about the gigs is that it's a sort of a two-way thing. You know, I would feed off the audience as much as the audience feeding off of me. And it's, you know, you get a, there's, there's nothing like the satisfaction of when, you, when you've written a song and you finish a song, um, that's one thing, and you just play it back and think, yeah, I think that, that, that does the business. But then, you know, you fast-forward the tape for years, and when you actually get to perform that song, um, live on stage and you get the reaction from the audience or hear, hear an audience joining in and singing along. That's, you know, it's, an, it's a nice feeling of completion when you can remember back when you started off maybe with just a title or just a, just a phrase, a melody, and now it's now come full circle and here you are performing that song and, you know, hundreds of people singing the chorus with you. And do, do you have favourite songs that you like to sing? Yeah, I would, I would have to say, you know, there are some songs, which, you know, here's the thing, Patricia, every year you try and refresh your, your show, you know, you, you would put new stuff in and you'd drop some song, some, some of your, uh, some of your previous uh, uh, tracks, whatever, but um, there are some songs that obviously, I mean, I couldn't get off stage without, without singing The Lights of the Town I Love So Well, or Scorn Out His Simplicity, or Ireland's Call, or whatever. Um, and those songs kind of select themselves. But on, 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 this, on this show, I'm also looking back over a bit of a retrospective on the 50-something years and, and getting some songs, um, dusting down some songs that I haven't, I haven't been doing uh, on, on stage for, for a long time. And even some songs that, that people don't realize that, that, uh, that, you wrote. Uh, that I wrote. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's always nice because, you know, in the main, people are not really concerned with who wrote the songs. They know who, who, who recorded them. Um, and before, before I would, you know, I'd be, I'd be associated with the likes of the town I love so well or scorn up through the Luke Kelly situation. But then during my, during my pop career, you know, I mean, there's songs like Deeper and Deeper by Joe Dolan that was one of Joe's big hits. People don't know that I wrote that. So I'm pulling a few of those kind of surprises out of the hat this time as well. Because the tour, you're, call, you're calling it the Golden Silver Days. Well, that was a that was a song that I wrote um, about really my sort of my growing up in a little terraced house in Derry. It's a song which has been picked up by by a lot of different people. Recorded by Paddy Riley and Philomena Begley, um, uh, Michael English, Foster and Allen, a whole bunch of people. So when a song finds its way through, uh, you know, into a lot of different singers' repertoires. It kind of tells you something about the song. So it also is kind of a bit reflective of what the tour is about, looking back on, on uh, trawling through those 50-something years and, and digging out the favourite songs. And, and, I mean, I, I take it all ages turn up to your concerts. I, I mean, I imagine you get generations of families coming along. You know, you're absolutely right. The classic thing is, you know, after the show when we do a meet and greet out front, the classic one would be um, a mum and dad with a couple of kids who are maybe going to piano lessons and ah. maybe the granddad and granny are there as well. Um, and I always make the point when they ask, when parents ask me about about the kids and practicing the piano and all that, and I always make the point that um, whatever whatever effort, whatever time they spend in, in working on the music will always be repaid. It's given to very few people to make a career from music, but it's a great companion, you know. I mean, it's music, some of it, it's very, as my father used to tell me, it's very easily carried. So I always encourage them to, you know, don't have expectations that they're going to become professional musicians necessarily, but certainly encourage them to enjoy their music. All right, some listeners with uh, some comments in. Um, Esther says, uh, so wonderful to hear you chatting to Phil Coulter. I love his music and I enjoyed the song he had on the Late Late Show recently. I often go back to playing his CDs and one of my favourites is his Serene Classics. 
Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. His music is so calming, uh, says Esther. And Mary says, Trish, would you ever ask Phil Coulter what inspired him to write the song Our Quiet Hero about the great Joey Dunlop? What a beautiful song. Well, Joey Dunlop was was a bit of a quiet hero, and in in motorcycling world, world uh, Joey Dunlop was was a kind of a, a global figure. You know, he was a, a world champion of this, that, and the other. But a very quiet, very very quiet man. And his his uh, his death, um, which happened when he was when he was on a on a charity run, something he did very quietly. Joey, he would he would um, collect a lot of charity clothes and 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 stuff. And he would he would get his hands on a truck, and he would personally drive the truck to places like Romania to dispense these things. Very quietly, he wasn't looking for any attention. And sadly, it was in one of those runs that Joy was killed. Wonderful mm. man. Yeah, uh, a great, a, a fantastic guy. Do you uh, do you get a buzz every time you hear Ireland's call at a rugby match? I do, <laughs> I do. You know, here's here's the thing about Ireland's call. It, when when uh, when I was approached first to to write the song, it was. The IRFU were then kind of confronting what had been a bit of an elephant in the drawing room, you know. I mean, they had been they'd been kicking the can down the road on a situation where it was a little bit awkward and a little bit uncomfortable when Oran uh, Avian would be played. And within the squad, there'd be a bunch of players who would be from the north uh, and from the unionist tradition. And uh, for, for them, Oran Avian is not their national anthem. And there would be huge sections of the supporters from the north of Ireland who would be of the same persuasion. Now, whether you agree with that or not, you have to respect the fact that they grew up in a different culture and a different tradition, and for them, God Save the Queen would be their, their anthem. Um, so um, the IRFU were, had decided it was time to kind of reach out and uh, come up with a sporting anthem, which was never, ever meant to replace the national anthem, but a sporting anthem that, that could be sung comfortably by players and supporters, be they from the north or the south. So, I mean, to begin with, uh, there was a kind of a, there was a, there was, there was a mixed reaction to it, to be honest. Um, and I remember telling the IRFU that this is not going to be widely accepted uh, automatically because um, we don't like, as a race, we don't like to be told what to do, and we certainly don't like to be told what to sing. So it took it took quite some time before uh, before Ireland's call kind of established itself before it was accepted. I think on that famous occasion when we played England in, in Croke Park, I think that was the day. Uh, ah. that, that Ireland's called really kind I, of I was going to because I, I remember thinking that day God that there's a song that's united a country if it's just that was the moment for me it will always stand yeah. out it's, it, it, it is fantastic this tour will take you right up to Christmas week what's Christmas like in the Coulter household? Well like, like many a family in Ireland uh, it has changed over the years we have six kids Geraldine and I um, so for many years it wouldn't have been the big family thing and, and her mum and dad would probably have been there as well so we had a big big affair now like so many other families our kids are in the four corners of the world we have one in, in New Zealand one in Australia uh, two in America one in, one in London and that's the way it goes so uh, we have a few of them coming back for Christmas uh, and of course we, we love to celebrate with uh, you know it's so much a family thing and we do the traditional stuff we do the midnight mass and we do the turkey and all the whole business I, we're both great traditionalists at Christmas Geraldine and I do you, will, will you sing another family sing song there might very well be a few songs <laughs> if there's enough wine drunk over the Christmas <laughs> there will certainly be songs there will certainly be songs that's for sure oh, yeah. right. well that's very typically Irish for sure for sure listen uh, Phil it was a real pleasure to talk to you enjoy your gigs in uh, Cork and enjoy the tour and it's always a pleasure to have you on the programme 
Thank you, Patricia. Thank Thanks you for that. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, the wonderful Phil Coulter playing the Cork Opera House this Saturday the 17th. And the following night, he is in the Charleville uh, Park Hotel. And that's the 18th of November. And then the week after, Ballymaloo. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, a story that made me smile is on the front page of today's Irish Examiner with Own English, writing about a little boy from Cloyne who got his head stuck in a mini toilet seat. Jack Lynch's mum, Caroline, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Caroline. Hi, Patricia. Um, and, and by the way, a wonderful name for your son, Jack Lynch. May he grow up to and yeah. to, to great <laughs> things like the other Jack Lynch. Now, yeah. this episode happened last Monday and it very much proves that uh, little ones can get up to all kinds of mischief, mischief when you're not watching them. Tell me what happened last Monday. So it was Monday lunchtime and um, he was just after coming home from preschool, went in to use the loo. And uh, next thing, uh, I just heard, Mammy, I'm stuck. So I popped my head around and I saw that he was actually putting his little toddler training seat onto his, his head. Um, and it's it's a travel uh, toilet seat as well. So like it's very, very small. And um, I, I really don't know how he, he got it on because his head is quite large. So he must have used a bit of force. And he was, you know, very happy with his achievement. He... He's a mischievous little three-year-old, you know, a typical like little boy now up to antics all the time. Um, so he was he was happy out with uh, with his achievements and what he had done. And um, you know, I I saw the funny side. Obviously, like you know, he's he's always up to things like this. So yeah, had so a they, laugh about yeah, it. and so and the instant thing was quick photograph, and we'll pop that off your head, Jack. Yeah, I yeah. said to him, stay there, and I'll go and grab the phone. You know, thinking like I want to make a memory out of this and look back in it because I, yeah. I already look back and think he's done and laugh. You know, so it, the instinct was to get the phone and um, we'll pop it off. It never occurred to me that it wouldn't come off because he'd got it on his head. You know, so um, we took the picture and then we we set. Um, uh, you know, to taking it off and uh, it, it wouldn't come off. It was stuck, completely stuck on his head, around his neck, like necklace. So you tried to l- put lubricant, oil and stuff and... Yeah, I was thinking, you know, if your rings ever get stuck on your fingers, that the first thing you'd be doing is like, you know, running it under a tap or, yeah. you know, getting the, you hear about the butter. So that's what we set it about doing. We wet it and we used cooking oil on it Um did a quick Google, saw that it happened to a, a child in the UK a few years back and they turned him upside down to try and get it off. So I was oh. thinking, okay, gravity might help. So there he was dangled over the couch. Oh. Um, but <laughs> lunchtime Monday, you know, stay at home mom life. <laughs> That's what we get up to. So, um, Nothing but, was uh, working. No, you couldn't get it over his, his nose and his ears. Like it just, it wasn't. There was no buds on it at all. So I said, I'd get out my big scissors and um, try and cut it off. But it was quite thick, rigid plastic and yeah. there's just no, no cutting through it. Yeah, I mean, that's hard plastic. Yeah, very yeah. hard plastic. There was no getting through it and you can kind of see from, you can see from the picture like that there's no space around his neck. There's not a lot of space like so I didn't want to start going at it with a knife or anything sharper because there's no room forever, you know. Um, so I, I kind of was just there in a pickle scratching my head. Now, how, how, was, how was Jack at this stage? Was he getting distressed? He was getting a, a little bit um, upset at this stage, but I mean, I was I was very calm and just calming him down and saying, you know, Jack, we'll get it off. Like, so he, you know, 
three-year-old. He's going to trust my word. And he, he was okay about it. He was just going around the whole time himself, like trying to take it off. But with every effort of taking it off, then he was starting to get marks on his face. And, you know, he was getting yeah. a little anxious. He was saying, in, in, you know, he, he, he's going to stay like this, mammy, you know. <laughs> um, we were to try to see it on his head. Like that was what was going through his head as no. it was at the time. But no, no okay. Jack, you won't be walking down the aisle the day of yeah. your wedding with that toilet seat. I no, guarantee you that. The worst so that then happened was he, he had to go to, up to the school to collect his brother with the toilet seat around <laughs> his head. But that was as far as it went. Now, then you took to the internet to look for advice from other mothers. Yeah, I, I have uh, not well, not the, the internet. I have a, a group of mummy friends, so oh. I, I messaged them and um, I said, you know, what would you do? Um, and they said at that stage they'd go down the roofs of A&E or a fire station which neither would have occurred to me really I mean like I had no idea you know I mean you, you, it really isn't in the parenting books about what to do on, on this kind of an occasion so um, they said that they'd, they'd go down the roofs of, of getting help for him so um, yeah we, we, we said you know we'd head off to the fire station and uh, try and get it cut off so you, you, so you have, you've, you've, uh, Jack is the middle child, isn't it? You have a twelve-month-old. Yeah. You have Aoife. Yeah. Con- and then Connor, the older lad, was in school. He's yeah, he's six, so he's in school. So we have to hang around and um, go and collect him from from school before we headed off anywhere. And so you went we, to Ballyvillan. We went to Ballyvillan. We rang the Cork fire station, and they said we could go. There, there would be somebody in Ballyvillan or somebody in um, the city who'd be able to help us. So. It was just easier to go straight up to Ballyvillan rather than, you know, parking the city and everything. So off we went after the school run up to, to Ballyvillan and they weren't expecting us now or anything like we hadn't rang 99 or anything like that. It was just a case of kind of walking in and seeing was there somebody there who'd be able to help, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I knew with the, the person who had the right equipment it was going to be a, an easy enough job like to get it off, you know. Yeah. So um, I went in and I... I just popped out of the car, met a fireman and said, you know, he said, who are you looking for? He said, uh, oh, nobody. I just, I have, I have the three-year-old there in the car and he's got a, a toilet seat stuck in his head. So they had a great laugh over it. And, <laughs> it just know, sounds ridiculous. It, it really does. It still sounds ridiculous to me. I can't believe, he, he, you know, he, he, that would have gone through his head, like to put that on, um, you know, and he, he must use a bit of force to get it on as well. So, uh, but uh, they, they seem to get a, a laugh out of it, you know, both, Ten of them, I'd say, they all came out to the fire station saying hi, Jack. You know, and he's a great fireman, Sam Fan. So they they took delight in that, and they were chatting away to him. And uh, you know, I'd say you now it was their entertainment for the day. They'd never seen anything like that before. You know. And then I'm thinking, you've got you know a little boy uh, at a fire station. You know, real life fireman. Fi- mm, big exciting mm. day out. It, it it was like I think it's something he he'll remember and whenever we recall it now that he's met Fireman Sam, you know he's uh, a big smile will come on his face. But at the time, it 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 was overwhelming for him. You know, at the time, I think he kind of was saying to me like about sharks' teeth would be needed to take it off. So I should he was afraid. Help him. I know. know. It, it, wasn't, I know. it wasn't really. I don't think it's something he'll he'll re- be repeating. You know. Yeah. So, thank God. No. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and then yeah. how did they get it off? What kind of equipment did they use? Um, they used is some kind of um, I don't have the official word now, but it was some kind of like you know a, a pliers or yeah. a, a cutter thing, you know. And um, they went at the back of him, like so he wasn't able to see anything. But it was uh, yeah, kind of a, a pliers cutter type thing. Um, and then and it just the popped back. off. Yeah, it took a couple of minutes to get through it, and then they just they popped it off. So um, I know, he, I know, I know. Mammy has to buy a new toilet seat. 
Oh, I, you know, he suggested that. He, <laughs> clever little fella suggested that on the way home. Um, but I said, I said, uh, you know, I think I'll pass on that now for a little yeah. while. We'll, we'll revert to the, the potty. The, the, the most they can do with that is just put it on as a hat. So, yeah. It's lovely. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and, Camille, well, well done to everybody at the, at Ballyvalon Fire Station. Oh, they, they seem They're to have gone above and beyond for you. They really were absolutely fantastic and even when it was off, like there was no rush to leave. They you know, they really made sure that he was happy and they gave him chocolate and offered to try on the helmets and the whole lot before he left, you know. So he they left a great impression on us, really they did. And it's a story you're going to be telling and relaying at his 18th birthday, his 21st, yeah. and his yeah. first girlfriend is going to hear all about it as well. Oh, it's God, a, one, it's it's a wonderful it. story. Listen, Caroline, <laughs> thanks a million. And good to know. Lovely, happy ending uh, to it all. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thanks a million. Well, God bless. Bye-bye. 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 That is Caroline Lynch talking about her little son, Jack, as I say. And there is a lovely photograph of Jack with the toilet seat around his neck, worn like a necklace almost. But well done and take a bow. Everybody at the fire station. Now we have wonderful firefighters and uh, the way they handled the situation and the way they looked after the family uh, so well and, you know, it was no bother and everything. Uh, and and even though, I think even the way Caroline handled it, there wasn't a big panic of dialing 999. She just got the advice went to the fire station and then they sorted her out so everybody uh, take a bow there now can I just say I'm a bit confused and, I, and I'll double check this um, I can see John Paul is is on the phone talking so I can't um, make contact with him at the moment but um, I'll, I'll, I'll check this in a moment with him we had An- wasn't it Angela from uh, Cecilstown on yesterday about the ongoing water supply she was without water yesterday or the day before she was without water I think it was and she didn't know whether there was water on or off yesterday because she was out of the house when I was talking to her she'd been on with John Paul last week and they had water issues and it's been going on for about five weeks they've always had a problem with water in Cecilstown but it seems to be getting really bad in the last number of weeks so she got on highlighted it again with us we said we'd get on to Irish water they didn't get back to us before the close of the programme yesterday and they've got back to us this morning to say there was a supply outage in Cecilstown area last week due to a burst pipe yes and we were aware of that and that was the one that John Paul dealt with last week they say this was repaired and normal water supply restored to all customers on foot of your inquiry staff from Cork County Council working on behalf of Irish Water have contacted a number of homes in the area this morning and have not received any report of further outages I'm I'm a bit perplexed by that. I'll have to talk to I'll have to get uh, John Paul to get and to get back on um, to Angela because we had Angela on and Angela had no water. I'm sure she said her neighbour didn't have any water either. So I'm very confused as to what houses did they contact and how you know are they are they disputing what Angela told us that she was without water? She definitely had uh, no water. Anyway, uh, we're, we're not leaving it at last. We need to find out more about that. Okay, staying with the stock toilet seat on the head uh, Breather joins me um, Good morning to you Good morning to you Breather Good morning Patricia The same thing happened to your grandson Yes absolutely One day sitting at home he decided anyway Nana look at me and there was the toilet seat round his neck and I thought oh my god what am I going to do and the first thing I did was check that it wasn't too tight on his neck Okay I tried twisted turned I tried everything and couldn't get this toilet seat off. And my husband was on the road. I rang him. Uh, do this, do that, do the other thing. I said, I've done all these. So anyway, I went. We, My husband would have a workshop, kind of, with a bit of tools in it. And I went to the garage, and I got the snibs, and I was able to cut it. 
It, it took some time, I imagine, did it? You know, well, you see, it was a reasonably big enough snibs, kind of, like, yeah, kind of yeah. it didn't, it didn't take all that long to get it off, like, kind of, but I just couldn't believe him <laughs> when I saw him. And I have that photograph as well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's the little it's the miniature toilet seat that you pop on top of the chair. other one when yes. they're toilet training. Yes. But I tell yes. you, just to beware for other parents, it can yes. happen. It can happen. So, so, so easily they can do it. Obviously, like. Well, yeah. The problem is they can get it on easy, but they can't get it off. Get it off That's yes. the problem. All right, Breda. Yes. Thanks for that, okay, and uh, thanks for joining us. And somebody was on to us earlier saying, "Did we have any update on the Mill Street Bingo? Do you remember the Mill Street Bingo that I'm, I believe is run by the local GAA? Uh, it uh, it's it stopped. It's no longer. It's ceased to exist. And a number of bingo players were a bit annoyed because there was what they felt was an outstanding jackpot. The jackpot was about a thousand euro, and they felt that that. Jackpot Jackpot had been built up by all of the bingo players who had attended Mill Street Bingo over the last number of weeks and months. They'd been paying into it. Jackpot had built up and they felt that the jackpot should at least be played for. And I know we heard from other bingo halls and community halls that ran bingo who found themselves in a similar situation where they had been running bingo and then it just wasn't making money anymore and they decided to stop running the bingo uh, but they always played out that they would play one last game to get rid of the jackpot seeing it as a kind of a fair it's the fairest thing to do because it is the bingo players whose money went in to build up the money that went into the jackpot so it does seem like the fairest way of doing it and people asked us could we find out were they going to do something similar with the jackpot that was built up at the Mill Street bingo. Well, we contacted them at the time and they just said they were making no comment. Uh, we had uh, another text in this morning saying, Patricia, can you, is there any further update on the Mill Street bingo? So we said when it was put back on our radar again, she would throw in another call and see could we find out anything. We've And John Paul rang them and uh, they're not answering. Now, I don't know if he's left a message or what, had he a facility to leave uh, a message. So we'll put it out on the radio. The organisers of the former bingo in Mill Street have you any plans to play off to play a game of bingo that will bring back the players so that somebody gets a chance to win the jackpot and I suppose even at this stage while they're saying that they've no comments to make, make even if they could tell us no they've made the decision they're not going to play for the jackpot uh, and they're going to do something else with the jackpot money at least let us know so that we can relay that information to bingo players who are upset you know and have felt that they've been good to support the bingo many going for many many years so anybody involved with what was the Mill Street bingo can you let us know what your plans are for the outstanding um, jackpot that was there when you decided to finish bingo in the Mill Street area. 1850 333103. C103 Jobs. With Jobs Expo Cork coming to Parky on November 17th. Your bright new career begins here. Register at jobsexpo.ie. Hallmark Building Services, they're based in Mallow. They are looking for a skilled snagger for work on a new housing estate. A plaster is required in the Mallow Cork area and a qualified cabinet maker with kitchen fitting experience required for East uh, Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
Now we've been contacted by a family in West Cork who have concerns around their adult son uh, who and the day placement he goes to and the fact that there isn't a bus escort uh, for him. Dan uh, joins me to tell us more about the story. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning. Now, Dan, it's your son, Connor. Connor is uh, 36. Um, just d- describe, describe Connor to us. Uh, Connor is 36 years old. He's about 14 stone in weight. He's very, very heavy to lift, to move. Um, very helpless, has got very helpless recently, and he gets uh, those seizures and he drops, you know. Okay. And um, so he, he so he has epilepsy. Uh, he has. He has it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As a, yeah. Uh, as a result of uh, he had a brain tumor and he had encephalitis after that. Okay. And. Um, so he has been, he was born with special needs, was he? No, 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 no. He was perfect until he was four and a half years old and he had a malignant tumour in his brain and he was operated on, but apparently the treatment uh, he received, we are told, killed off too many brain cells. He, he was perfect at four and a half years old. He was he had the sense of a six-year-old because his older brothers and sisters we're going to school and he was doing the schoolwork, the homework as well with him, you know. And he went from being a normal, healthy, oh, healthy, yeah. happy four and a half year old. Exactly. To yeah. somebody who needed a lot of care and attention. Oh, yeah, he needs, he needs, he really needs 24 hour care now. He has deteriorated recently, very much so again. And um, he was going into coaction and Bantry which was a great service, a brilliant service, because it was very near us. We didn't have to go to Cork. We used to have to go to Cork City one time, up to uh, Temple. To the Levana Centre, yeah. 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 And that was a great place too, but it was very, very difficult to get in and out there, and it was a long old journey for him and everything. Like, you know? Yeah, you're in Glengariff. We're in Glengariff, yeah. yeah. So yeah. co-action and Bantry, closest, nearest. And, wh- and where is he now? Uh, he's at home now with uh, about... Five weeks because uh, he uh, the PHSC will not uh, provide the money to coaction to get uh, an escort on the bus for him. And the reality of the situation is that when he gets those attacks, uh, he goes to the right. Just to the right, he goes. He he um, stumps down to the right, and we are really afraid that the the. Belt and the boss were choking, you know. The safety yeah, belt. Yeah. That yeah. was around as you know on his right hand shoulder. Did he did he at one time have an escort? He did? Yeah. There was an escort on the bus at one stage, yeah. But um But uh, because that, of funding the HSC will not fund yeah. an escort for the bus and he, he really needs it, right? And what was this that um, I heard? He he hadn't had a seizure in five weeks and they thought, I'm sure he's OK because he hasn't had a seizure in five weeks. That's, that's right, yeah. Um, that, is, that is not true. He has had, he do have many seizures that they wouldn't even see because they wouldn't, you know, the driver is driving the bus so he can't be looking back over his shoulder. And of course there's more, it's probably a full bus, is it? Uh, yeah, well, yes, at the time it finishes, yeah, it's a yeah. bus going into the centre. And there's no escort at all on that bus? No. Um, there has been an escort. There's an escort comes in the evening on the bus. Okay. So, um, 
I, I don't know, is it voluntary, is something voluntary that's, that they do or what? Yeah. The HSE will not fund, uh, we're told, HSE will not fund them. Um, will not fund the escort. And and without, without an escort, Dan, your Connor is, at, is remaining at home. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. See? Always remain here at home, yeah. Because you won't take the risk. Oh, well, we won't take the risk, no. Got it all them choked. I know. A lot of things going, you know. And does he miss not going to Coaxi? Oh, he misses it very bad. Yeah. Mm. And he misses it very bad because, uh, yeah, he has been one of them for, you know, 20 some years. And, yeah. 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 But his, his outlet and was, you know, um, for the only place that was able to kind of stimulate his interest a bit. And then it's putting added responsibility on you and Connor's mum because he's home all the time with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's 24 out here, really, because we are at the stage now where um, we can't go to bed. So one of us has to stay up, you know, because when he gets out of bed, he falls and he cuts himself. So he is mobile, is he? Uh, well, he's, yes, mobile to a point, yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the danger is he'll fall and hurt himself. Yeah, but he has, he has, um, while there, no, he has a belt. Which is a great thing because you can hold on to it and even <clears throat> that when he stands up, you know, he could just, any bit seem to be a bit of exertion as well. He seems to drop, you know. So if you don't have a hold of it, he hits his head. Has he speech? Uh, some. Some, okay. Yes. All right, so he's able to communicate his needs, uh, yes, is he? Yes, he's able to communicate with yeah. us. Yeah, Good okay. enough, yeah. But uh, really, one would have to know him to um, be able to communicate with him. You would have to know him. And, Dan, what gives him joy? Does, has he interests in, in anything? Well, Dion, he, uh, what gives him joy is we have grandkids who come in. They're from, they're from babies up to seven, eight years. Yeah. He loves to see, he loves those children. Does he? You know? 
Does he? And likes and can interact with them and try and play with them? Yeah, he can, yeah. Well, he can get amused by them, yeah. He, yeah. he really can't play with them. That's, I know, I know. But, no, just but he can... Um, he, he, he can get him used by him looking at their facial expression and that kind of thing. Likes to be in their company. Absolutely, yeah. And is it only yourself and your wife at home? Have you any other help? No, oh, no, just myself and my wife, yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you have any home help, any home support? We don't at the moment. We have our own family living not too far away, some of them. And um, they come occasionally to, which let to bat him or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um... That's tough going. It can be tough going at times. I know it's tough going and it's getting really tougher. I, I, I don't know, can it be done? Because, as I say, we can't we can't go to bed at night, like, you know. And now... Last the... night, no, at, at, I'll just give you an idea. Last night at um, around 12 o'clock, we took him out to the toilet because he was going to be coming out anyway. And um, again at 5 o'clock, my wife uh, took him out. I've uh, met him when he was coming out, you know, and he gets out of bed, but then he falls, you know. Yeah. But um, at half past six again this morning, I heard the bang and he was on the floor. And then you've got to get, you've got to help him back into the bed. And... It's very, very hard to lift him, as I tell you, now he's 14 strong weight. Yeah. And um, it's very, very hard for one person to lift him. Nearly impossible. Yeah. Okay, is that him in the background saying, Dad, is it? And and the fact now that he, he doesn't even go get out for the day to go to co-action is giving you and your wife no break. And, and, and break is the wrong word because it's, it's your much-loved son oh, who you're yeah. looking after. But you do need a break as well. I, I know, I know, I know. But to be reasonable, like, and, uh, there's another thing as well, like... And, um, if somebody comes in, like where he would maybe make a shape to get up or go to the toilet or something like that, and they would put him sitting in a normal chair and he'd fall off a normal chair, you know? Yes. On the floor. He has to have support at the if side. If he's in an arm chair, he won't, he's yeah. not safe in it. OK, we obviously did get onto Coaction and they say they can't comment on individual cases. And listen, Coaction are a wonderful organisation and, and their hands are tied because of finances. This ultimately goes back to the HSC and the funding that's required, the HSC need to come up with the money to pay for an escort to look after Connor on the bus so that Connor can come to and from safely. That would be the ideal situation. That would be an ideal situation. Okay, have you, uh, and, I, and I know I'm always doing this, but it does work, have you contacted any of your local politicians? Yes. And Do, do they? They have all. As a matter of fact, one of the politicians have put on a doll question. Oh, okay. Uh, to the minister, you know. Okay. And um, this is the same answer we're getting that um, that uh, they have they have looked for them for the, the, the funding and they, it didn't fall coming from the, the from the HSE. HSE, yeah. Okay, well, we'll and I know we'll get we don't we don't comment on individual cases, but we'll send an email off to the to the HSE as well. And I know Coaction do fantastic fundraising. Oh, that's that, brilliant! I mean, they're they're you know they're they're a wonder. And I know that they'll say they need their money for for so many other things. But this this situation now, um, I think Dan, with you is even I I didn't realise that Connor is now at home for the last five weeks oh, he and will be at home until this situation. You're not you're not letting him on a bus. We Without an escort, can't afford to like because uh, he's, he's going to get he's going to get strangled, he's going to get choked, and the bloody seatbelt. 
I know, I know. You can't take that risk. You can't take that risk. You can't take that. And is there any way you could bring him yourself? Would that be a possibility? Um, not at the moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or there's nobody else could Maybe bring him. Maybe that could change as well, you know. Maybe that could change. Maybe that could, could change. change too. Okay. Yeah. All right, but uh, a bus escort, that's, that's, that's what's needed. It's as simple as that. It's just some human being to... We, we, uh, to stop him from getting strangled in the seat. Just keep an eye on him. Just to keep. Enough. Just and is he on medication for the epilepsy? Oh, he's on very very heavy medication. Is he? Is he? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hang in there. You're a great dad, yeah. and uh, you're you're great parents. And as I say, we'll send a, an email off to can, yeah. to the HSE and see yeah. how we get on. And it's good to to get these things out. See if anybody else has any suggestions of any other way we can get around this to get an escort on the bus in order that Connor can get in uh, to his day placement in coaction. Yeah. Dan, listen, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Eighteen. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Goodness me, but some families really have it very, very tough indeed. And again, it's those kind of cases that go on that you don't get to see because Dan and his wife and Connor are at home. They're behind closed doors. You don't get to see the reality of what their life is like. I mean, trying to grab a few hours sleep constantly with one ear uh, waiting to hear you know, has, is he out of bed? Is he after falling? Has he hurt himself? You never, ever get a proper night's sleep. And the only way they can get any kind of a break, you know, just to focus on themselves for a little while and get on with living is when Connor will go on the bus and head into co-action, which he seems to love to go to and spend his day in day, in day placement. But now, unfortunately, he's at home with them uh, full time as well. Uh, 1850-333-103. If anybody has suggestions of our advice as to what uh, Dan can and his family can do, uh, please let us know. And as I say, we will contact and uh, send an email off to the HSC. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie C103. And just some reaction to uh, Dan talking about the situation with his son, Connor, hasn't attended co-action in Bounty for the last five weeks because there's no bus escort and the family are just afraid of Connor having a seizure and what could happen to him. One listener says, well done to Dan. Wasn't it great to get an insight into what life is like for older parents as they are trying to look after an adult son uh, or daughter with uh, special needs? You don't often get to hear uh, what happens inside and behind closed doors and someone else says it's an absolute disgrace that the health board don't fund the escort on these buses money is spent on stupid things it's back again on to bloody funding says a uh, texter uh, 1850-333-103 if we hear anything back from the HSC we will bring it to you OK let's go to this week's uh, Garda file and we're going to Castletown Bear Garda station where I'm joined by Garda Martin Hegarty good morning to you Martin good morning Patricia and you are welcome to the programme that we're going to be talking uh, later on uh, about a phone a friend uh, initiative and some phone scams that are happening in Cork but are, um, that are ha- phone scams that are happening not just in Cork they're happening all over actually we're just getting a few calls in this morning about some more of those phone scams but we want to start with some incidents that have happened in West Cork that you're looking for assistance uh, with starting with a serious assault in Castletown Bear last Sunday night Well we start with this one um, Patricia It uh, we're appealing for assistance and indeed witnesses in relation to a very serious assault um, that occurred at a house in Cane Point, Castletown Bear on Sunday 
evening last, um, sometime after 10.30pm. Now, what we're looking for here is anybody that may have been in the Cane Point area that heard disturbances or indeed noticed any vehicles or persons in, in the area. Sometime between 10pm and 11pm on Sunday, Sunday evening, we're time-specific in relation to this, and we're location-specific as well. Cane Point is, is a uh, housing estate um, just uh, just on the fringe of Castletown there. And again, what we're looking for there is that anyone that was in the vicinity of Cane Point between uh, 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. last Sunday night, um, we would be very grateful for uh, any assistance uh, or information we can get in relation to any activity up there over the, over that period of time. Now, my, my colleagues here in Castletown Bear are dealing with that matter and can be contacted at 27 or indeed if... Um, a person so wishes they can contact my colleagues in Bantry at 0272-0860 or indeed the Garda Confidential Line, which is 1-800-666-111. OK, and there was criminal damage to a vehicle in Cladove. That's right. Again, we mentioned these type of incidences, uh, Patricia, the last time I was on with you, and it, it, seemingly it's an ongoing thing um, that we're... Cars that are parked up overnight are being damaged indiscriminately. And on this particular occasion at Oakville Cladove, um, on Monday the 29th of the 10th and Tuesday between 6pm on Monday and 10.30am on Tuesday the 30th of the 10th, a vehicle that was parked overnight had the two wing mirrors knocked off the side of the vehicle. Now again, what we... What we're looking for here is anybody that may have been in the area that noticed uh, this activity occurring. And we would be very grateful for any assistance we can get with this because it's an ongoing problem, particularly the last time I was on the programme with yourself, Patricia, it was in the Cladove area. We had three or four incidents. I remember that. Uh, and is, is it just mindless vandalism? I, I would say so as much as anything else. You, you know, you you just, it beggars belief, yeah. the reasoning behind doing something like that. But, it, like, again, I'm just looking at the, the, the damage, the amount of um, money that it would cost to repair the damage. You're talking in terms of this vehicle or the owner of the vehicle having to spend €250, Euros, €300 Euros to put their vehicle to bring it back, uh, to put new wing mirrors on it. Mm-hmm. So again, you just wonder to yourself, what is the, what's the reason for it? Why is this being done? But my colleagues there in um, Crookstown are dealing with this. Um, Garda Masters and Garda, my, my namesake, uh, Brian Hagerty is dealing with this and they can be contacted at 21 Okay, there is ongoing traffic restrictions in Castletown Bear that you want to give a mention to. Just a quick mention, um, there are restrictions uh, because of roadworks and that in, in the Castletown Bear area. Again, what we would just advise motorists that are coming into Castletown Bear are indeed uh, passing through Castletown Bear. We just advise them that there are ongoing roadworks um, and they will be going on over the next couple of weeks and there'll be stop-go systems in place. So we just advise people that it, it's an ongoing thing. I think maybe around West Cork there are a lot of ro- roadworks and, and different, um, but this is specific to ourselves here in Castletown Bear and I felt it was worth mention. OK, uh, tell me about this Phone a Friend initiative. A new, fo- a new initiative, it's a volunteer-driven project. It's called Phone a Friend and it's a free service providing a weekly phone call which is available to older people or individuals 
individuals who may feel lonely, isolated and vulnerable in the Cork County area. The service specifically targets people with chronic illnesses or anyone who cannot engage in an active way in the community. Um, without doubt, Phone a Friend provides friendship and security, helping clients feel safer at home. And if a client does not answer, the friendly caller will usually phone a family member or a neighbour who may be in a position to help. Now, this is being launched, I believe, tomorrow, the 9th of November, and the pamphlets and the literature in relation to it will be will be available um, over the um, over the next couple of weeks and it is something that has been fully supported by the Garda Shilkana here in West Cork. Okay, good luck with that. And phone scams? Phone scams, again, something that's an ongoing issue in relation, all, all not alone in Cork County but all over the place. But the, the scams and the scammers seem to be improving their methodology for want of a, a, a better way of putting it. And <clears throat> they're purporting to be from reputable companies such as Vodafone, Air, Aircom. Um, they target main, mainly elderly uh, people, informing them that there seems to be a problem with their broadband, which eventually leads to uh, a request being made for bank details. Now, they seem to be improving their methods uh, as they now display the caller IDs for phone numbers which uh, appear to or originate in West Cork. And therefore, by having the, the, the what you call it, the number, a local number, it improves the odds against the call being answered and indeed the culprit um, getting away with maybe information from the uh, unsuspecting person that, that takes the call. So again, what we'd be advising people here, Patricia, is that, you know, uh, these companies will not contact you unless you contact them first. So, like, basically what we'd be saying to people is, is if you haven't called your provider, don't accept the call from yeah. somebody purporting to be a provider, say, for a telephone service or indeed any type of service. And the most important thing is not to engage in any way, Patricia, by giving details of your bank details or otherwise over the phone. OK, you've got a light up campaign, obviously very applicable with uh, the dark evenings. That's right. Again, I suppose uh, the, the times, the, the hour went back there um, last week and uh, you've shorter days and longer nights. Um what we'd be asking people and is to just, you know, be conscious of the fact if they're out on the roads, particularly pedestrians, you know, to wear uh, fluorescent vests or indeed bright colour clothing if they're out there. We'd ask cyclists to have the correct lighting on their bikes. Remember, for, for um, pedal cycles, it's a white front light, a red rear light and a red rear reflector has to be on the vehicle. Again, we'd ask people to wear fluorescent jackets or vests and we'd ask people cycling to you uh, to you wear bright colored clothing we'd also ask motorists uh, patricia to just check the lights on their vehicle because you know yourself when you're traveling around west cork or indeed any part of the country the number of times you will come across people whose lighting on the vehicles may not be up to scratch you know they're committing an offense um, by not having the correct lighting on their vehicles um, but the most important thing is, you know, the safety side of it is, is is paramount where this is concerned. And it is hugely important that vehicles, particularly lorries and, and the larger vehicles, make sure that the lighting on their vehicles is, is working correctly and whatever. OK, and very finally, a quick mention to a coffee morning that's going to be held in the Garda station in Bandon. That's 
correct, yes. Um, I, my colleague down in, um, colleagues in Bandon are organising um, a coffee morning in the Garda station in Bandon. It's on on Wednesday next, the 14th to the 11th, and it's running from 9.30am to 12.30pm. Now, the proceeds of the coffee morning are going to the Bandon Tidy Towns and the Bandon Playgro- uh, Playground Group and the St. Michael's um, centre there in Bandon. So we'd ask people maybe just to support that. It's all going on in the Garda station in Bandon between 9.30am and 1230 uh, PM on next, next Wednesday. Wednesday. All right, and three very worthwhile causes: uh, the Tidy Towns, the Playground in Bandon, and St Michael's Centre. Okay, we leave it there. And uh, Martin, thank you for that, thank and thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Gar the Martin Hegarty, based uh, in Castletown. There, you're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed couple of things I want to give a quick mention to because it has tendency to happen is the last hour of the programme it flies by and then I get to the end of the programme and I don't get a chance to mention it and these are things that are happening uh, this evening that are worthy of a mention. Firstly, Cork County Council and Irish Water have been back on uh, to say that the traffic flow is going to be restricted on Davis Street in Mallow again tonight the uh, Thursday the 8th of November 9pm to 7am diversions are in place. It's to facilitate they've been doing this cleaning work all week they are cleaning the the foul sewers is what they're called and they're using some kind of a jetting contractor so they can't do it during the day well they could do it during the day but it will cause consternation with the traffic gridlock so they're doing the work overnight so it's happening again tonight so Davis Street in Mallow diversions will be in place from 9pm tonight until 7am tomorrow and I think that's going to be the last night of it and hopefully they'll have all of the work uh, complete so avoid that area and I want to wish the best of luck to Jonathan Jennings who is from West Cork and he has just published his first ever book and it's a book of poetry. It's called Desire to Inspire and it's a book of poetry sprinkled in West Cork magic. Each poem is described as being like a doorway into the author's soul as it takes you by the hand and draws you into his world of everyday observations hard graft and unending love. And if you are a lover of poetry, then this book really ticks all of the boxes. And there is a special launch of Jonathan Jennings' poetry book tonight at the Clonakilty Bookshop with a seven o'clock uh, start and I'm assuming with most book launches like that, particularly ones that are in bookshops, it will be open to everyone. And Desire to Inspire is available for purchase at the bookstore in Clonakilty and it's also available at Collins Bookshop in Clon, priced at 12 at euro. So the best of luck to Jonathan Jennings on his book launch tonight, Desire to Inspire. And I've just spotted a message in from Catherine, Ca- Catherine Carroll, who is from Mallow. And she's a lady who we spoke with on the programme earlier in the year. She was one of the many thousands of women who was affected when the HSE decided to remove the pain relief patches. Remember these Versatis pain relief 
patches. They decided to remove them from the medical card uh, scheme. They were available under the drugs uh, purchase uh, scheme, but for people on medical cards, they removed them from that. And people ended up, if they had the money, were uh, were being forced to pay for them. But of course, in many, many cases, if somebody had a medical card, that meant, uh, because medical cards by their nature are means tested, they weren't able to afford these pain relief uh, patches. And Catherine uh, joined us on, on this programme. And people will remember that uh, Joe Duffy's programme and Liveline uh, for for weeks, I don't think they've ever had a reaction like they've had to the Versace's pain relief patches because they were getting calls in from all over the country. And uh, Liveline, there's a, t- there's a call back programme on on TV. It started, I think it was last week, was the first week of it. And um, it's just called the Liveline callback and it's like what happened afterwards when, when the people come off the phone and the and the radio programme is finished and they do follow-ups and I saw the first one last week and they're lovely and they're usually all light-hearted lovely nice endings to it well Catherine is one of the people who's going to feature on Liveline callback tonight on RTE1 at, at 7 o'clock just in case people are wondering what happened to the likes of Catherine once the media interest was gone from her story and, and her story I think will reflect what has happened to so many other people around the, around the country. It's interesting to catch up um, as to what happened to them afterwards. How are they surviving without the pain relief patches? And I know John Paul we want to try and put a call through to Catherine and see we'll, we'll catch up with her tonight on the TV programme but see if she can join us tomorrow if she's uh, available and able. Uh, she might speak with us tomorrow in the programme but keep a look out for Catherine Carroll from Mallow because many people will remember her story because I know we had a huge reaction when she told her story to us uh, earlier on in the year. So keep a keep a lookout for Catherine on that TV programme uh, tonight. Okay, let me take a look at some of your calls that are coming into the programme. We mentioned Irish Water. We were talking about Cecilstown and the problem with water in Cecilstown. Margaret in Ballyclaw was on to say, we're having the same problem in Ballyclaw like what you've outlined that's been happening in Cecilstown. For about two days every week, we seem to have no water. Again today, no water. Uh, so you can't, and it must be dreadful to live like that not knowing if you're going to turn on the tap and whether there's going to be any water or not. Margaret says, for example, you switch on the washing machine and you're fearful that in the middle of the cycle, the water might stop. She said, suddenly you'll start hearing a buzzing on the washing machine and you'll realise there's no water going through. That, I imagine, could be quite dangerous. Margaret says, you'd also be afraid to have a shower for fear that it would stop in the middle of the shower. And if you've got an electric shower, that can be quite dangerous uh, as well. So Ballyclaw, another area. And we are back to an issue that we mentioned yesterday when we were talking about water and water supply. Somebody, and we were, when we were talking about Cecilstown, somebody, John, wasn't it John from Cove? I could be wrong now on the name there. Anyway, we had a call in from a gentleman who was very annoyed that we were once again talking about water and poor infrastructure. And he says, this all goes back to the fact that people went out in the street and protested against paying for water. And his point was, if everyone had just sucked it up and you got your utility bill, i.e. a water bill, and you paid it, he said, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. And people in the likes of Cecilstown, and now we're hearing Ballyclaw, wouldn't be in the situation that they're in, whereby they have very poor infrastructure in their towns, in their villages. This is reflected all over the country. He was saying if everybody paid for their water, Irish water then would have a chunk of money and they'd be able to go around the country fixing all of the burst pipes, putting in, you know, getting rid of old antiquated pipe work, putting in new pipe work, updating, you know, reservoirs, 
uh, water storage, whatever is needed, they would have the money if everybody uh, paid up. Now that angered, I have to say, a number of people, including one listener who says, why can't they use the money that they generate from the local property tax to pay for our water. I had to pay a large amount of money to buy my house through my mortgage, which I'm now delighted that uh, I own. And yet here we are now paying water, paying property tax after already paying for our houses. And we see nothing in return. We still have bad footpaths we're constantly hearing on your programme about water outages. So where is all that money going? Could they not put that money into water? Well, your local property tax goes to your local council and the council are doing the best they can with it. That's that's where your local property tax uh, goes. And Paddy in Rathgormack uh, says, the caller who wants to bring back water uh, charges, would you ask him, or oh, this is the same point, what are we paying our property tax for? We get nothing for it, nothing to show again. OK, sorry, I didn't realise it was the, the, the same kind of argument. Put the property tax into uh, water. But we do have a creaking water system that Irish Water will say they're doing the best that they can, but it certainly does need, it needs a lot of investment. That is uh, for sure. Now, what else is coming into us? Still getting commentary in about Leo Varadkar and what Leo Varadkar had to say about doctors and nurses and how they all should be working over Christmas. Dear Mr. Ninchikila, what drives me mad is all of the other politicians jumping up and down about what Leo Varadkar said. Leo was not 100% right in what he said, but why are the others now going wild about it? You have Micheál Martin giving out yesterday, but at the end of the day, didn't he set up the HSE? So he should not be one to be giving out. Dean is a hospital worker. Does Leo Varadkar really think that hospitals close over Christmas? Staff do, staff still, frontline staff still have to turn up for for work every single day. Uh, Dean, who is a hospital worker, says the only one that he sees who will take time off over Christmas are usually the admin workers. But the frontline staff, and in fairness, it was and is the frontline staff that Leo Varadkar was talking about, Dean says they turn up every single uh, day. Some of your texts in on this. Anne says, Patricia, Leo is dead right. I married 42 years and my husband has never had a Christmas off. Why? He works with horses. They have to be looked after. Horses don't know it's Christmas, says um, Anne. And Maura says, Morning Patricia, if Leo does not cop on, he'll end up in A&E. If he's paid and got, if he paid and got more frontline staff rather than blowing off all this hot air. Is he losing his head? He has no problem giving pay increases and long holidays to the boys. My daughter was a nurse and luck she was to pack her bags and leave Ireland, says Maura. And those young nurses, Maura, are the ones that the same Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris are, are trying to get back to this country. We need our young nurses. There's loads of schemes to try to get them back. And here is a fantastic open letter that was written uh, to the Taoiseach and went up um, on, I think it was on Facebook uh, yesterday, that says, the, Dear, this is written from a nurse, Dear Taoiseach, this evening myself and another colleague of mine sat in an outpatient department waiting on a bed for our poor spinal injury patient. We mind him here as there are no beds, not because people are on leave. We both have young families and we were due off a number of hours ago, but we don't leave because of our duty of care to our patient. We won't see our children tonight to wrap them up and kiss them goodnight. 
I'll get on my train home once again, a daily routine at this stage, but I'll be happy knowing that my patient will be sorted. He needs urgent spinal surgery, which will be carried out by an orthopaedic consultant, who, by the way, is not on leave. But in order for this man to have his surgery, he has to be in a bed. So, Taoiseach, it's not nursing staff that have caused the bed crisis. We are here keeping things going. It's not the consultant or his team causing the crisis. They are ready to operate. Taoiseach, there are no beds. Also, I believe deep down your words will make us nurses strike and I myself will be out front of the picket if the vote is yes. And that's, it was signed yours sincerely. A nurse who was due to finish many hours ago but stayed as there was no beds. There's somebody giving fantastic commitment, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I think Leo Varadkar seems to be picking on the wrong group of people when he's citing that's the reason for the problems that we have during the winter months, particularly in our A&E departments. Keep your pet questions coming, please, because uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in studio. John Paul is taking calls and pet questions to 1850-333-103 and you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. I earlier on mentioned that uh, rape case that was before the courts uh, yesterday because one listener was very, very annoyed uh, to hear that the young girl, the 17-year-old who had alleged she was raped, um, that the jury were asked to consider the underwear. She was wearing a lace thong and uh, the jury were asked to consider that when deciding whether there had been consensual sex uh, or not. And that led to the whole discussion. And we had the Rape Crisis Centre coming out saying, you know, we thought we'd moved on from that, that what a young woman wears going out shouldn't in any way have anything to do with and shouldn't be brought up in a court of law. And the young girls and young boys should be allowed to wear what they like when they go out. Well, not everybody agrees with that because somebody says, Patricia, hang on now, take self-respect would be a help, though, in the same way that an insurance company would ask you if you had your door locked, if your house was broken into and robbed. A woman should take reasonable precautions regarding her body. That is not a lotting blame to her, but an attempt to limit a bad possibility. The first person to respect you should be yourself, be you male or female. Surely you ha- surely you have the word gone away. Surely or has that word gone away. I'm, I'm oh sorry, respect. Hang on, let me try and reread that again. Sorry, I should have cleaned up this text before I read it out. You should have respect for yourself, be you male or fem- female. Or has that word, the word respect, gone away as what has happened with um, a blasphemy. Uh, yeah, I think people do have a right to respect themselves, but your underwear isn't... I mean, the girl didn't go out showing her underwear. The only person who saw her underwear was the man who he says he didn't rape, she says he, he did. So I don't know... I still don't think how underwear has got anything to do with respect, what underwear you, you make, you wear. I mean, it's, you know, as as one listener earlier on said, what about the jury that, and there was there was female female jury on that panel, were any of them wearing lace underwear? Were they asked, were they, were they wearing uh, lace underwear? 1850 uh, Keep your pet questions coming, please, uh, because Jane... Our resident vet will be joining us in studio uh, answering all your questions. So if you've got a pet question, get it in now, please. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. 
Mallard Tidy Towns, they're holding their annual table quiz that's going to be in Albert's Bar in Mallow and that's on tonight at half past eight. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they've got a blood donor clinic in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. Uh, this afternoon, three to five and again seven to nine tonight. New donors always welcome. Drum Collagher Respite Care Centre hosting a festive evening tonight at eight in Drum Collagher Community Hall with mulled wine, mince pies, a raffle, card making demonstration, cake decorating, art demonstration and chutney making, my favourite. And there'll be sampling as well. Admission is just 10 uh, euro. Country Music Circle, they meet in the Music Library on the Grand Parade in Cork and they, uh, they are meeting today. Come along to hear Country Music with Dennis McSweeney. Free admission to all. And Strictly Bandom, that will take place over the weekend of November 23rd to 24th and again on December the 1st. It's a native Bandon Red Cross and the Bandon Playground Group this year. They have seven night all expenses paid cruise for two people as a raffle prize. Tickets will be sold in Bandon Town tomorrow, Friday, and again on Saturday. The raffle tickets are five euro each, and the draw will be held on the first of December. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C103. Okay, and some of your calls and texts coming in. Michael says, Trisha, have the greatest sympathy for uh, the parents of Connor. Connor is the 36-year-old man living at home with his parents in Glengariff and for the last five weeks hasn't been able to attend co-action because there's no bus escort. The HSC won't come up with the money for the bus escort and obviously co-action, as with a lot of those other uh, services, are pinned to the collar, trying to pay for everything and trying to provide as much services as they can and they have hikwa to contend with and it's just... Uh, it's just unreal what all of those service providers for people with intellectual disability who provide the daycare services, the residential services, what they have to put up with. And in many cases, they're doing it on pretty much the same budgets that they had for a number of years ago. Yet they might have extra clients coming on board. There's new rules and regulations. There's KICWA that has to be uh, complied with. It it really is. It's a a tough, tough job. I can tell you that. Anyway, Michael has sympathy listening to Dan who was outlining his story. Michael says, I think you hit the nail on the head by suggesting that maybe Dan himself or the family could bring Connor uh, because talking when he mentioned about his weight and, and whatever would a, would an escort uh, be able to help him in the event of a seizure I hope they find a solution to this problem sooner rather than later well I think more than anything what Dan wants is just somebody to keep an eye on him the fear is that because of the way he goes down when he has a seizure he's just afraid that the safety belt around him could end up around his neck and could choke him. I mean, that's just the fear that he has. So the idea would be that an escort wouldn't necessarily have to, would, would be sitting with him just to make sure that he's balanced properly if if he did have a seizure. And then obviously the bus could pull in and there would be somebody else uh, to uh, help him. But I did ask um, Dan if he was in a situation you don't know. And I'm certainly not pushing any uh, family to force them into a situation that they'd have to drive somebody in the morning and then go back and collect them in, in the in the afternoon. It, you know, it's a big commitment as well. And I really do think, listening to that family, they have a lot, they really do have a lot on their plate at the moment. Somebody says, Patricia, would you ever give Mill Street Bingo a break? They 
gave a great service to the bingo players. They were running at a loss most nights. Uh, would you get a life? And that comes from a reg- regular bingo player. I'm listening, listen, this is, uh, pardon the pun, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just relaying what we're hearing in from other bingo players. I just would love if the organisers of the bingo in Mill Street would just come out and issue a statement and say, look, this is the reality. This is what's happened this is where we're at. This is what we're going to do with whatever's left of the jackpot. But it's the fact that they're not commenting, I think, that's causing people to contact us as bingo players to say what's going on. That's all. And I'm just passing on what we're hearing from uh, other people. I have nothing at all. The bingo, I'm sure the organisers of bingo, Mill Street Bingo were were and are a great bunch of people and they, like a lot of other bingo halls and community groups, find themselves that you can't keep going if you're you're loss making and people get upset when something is taken away but it goes back again if people don't support be it, you know, we're all talking about shops and post offices, but if they don't support community things like local bingo, there's no point after they've been forced to pull the plug because they can't make money. It's too late then to be bemoaning, oh, would I love to go to the bingo? Well, did you go regularly when it was on? Well, no, I didn't. No point moaning now because it's gone. And can I just stay with Mill Street for a moment? And we are looking into this. Somebody said, I was walking down the town park in Mill Street this morning and I counted five lights not working. And it was very dangerous as you could not see where you were going. Some of them are gone since last February or March. Uh, Could the people responsible please fix them as I love to walk in the town park in uh, Mill Street. Now we're endeavouring to sort out what's going on there and try to find out who's responsible and are when uh, we a date on when those are going to be fixed. And just to follow up to yesterday, I mentioned yesterday that we had got uh, a call in from a postmaster who didn't want us to reveal where they were calling from uh, because they didn't want the ID of the elderly person known but it was to do with the case of a pensioner whose partner had recently died and everybody in the post office assumed that the person would be entitled to the six weeks of her partner's pension which is the way it has always been and when they went and looked into it they were told no there was some kind of a change about six weeks ago or, or it wasn't about six weeks but there was some kind of change around the end of August and that now you're not automatically entitled to the six weeks of your partner's pension as was had always been the case and the person working in the post office had heard nothing about it and wondered if we heard anything about it and I was saying we hadn't but that we would look into it and I know I did did a quick check with Citizens Information who are completely above board and I did point out to John Paul what I thought was interesting was their update on this six week payment had been updated at the end of August which led to be, me, me to believe there had been some kind of a change but obviously Citizens Information don't say when changes come in they just say this is the way it is from now but I had noticed it had been updated at the end of August anyway we decided we've got the Minister for Older People in our midst, Jim Daly. Was he not the man to go to? So we went straight to him. And Jim Daly uh, checked with Minister Regina Doherty and was advised that the Decisions Advisory Office, which is a new one on me, they decide on the interpretation on law as it's written. There you go. They did make a change and they did make it back in August, which means that, in inverted commas, not everyone gets paid for the six, six weeks following the death of your husband, your wife, your partner. Um, and the payment is now dependent on the type of payment that the late spouse was on. The Department of Social Protection has had to apply this rule 
since it was issued. However, they have concerns about it and they have asked for it to be legally reviewed as a matter of urgency. And that's now underway. So we have uncovered a little bit of a story here. Separately, though, it is not possible, obviously, to discuss individual cases on air. But in sympathising with the, with the person, Minister Regina Doherty has offered to review their individual case and to revert directly to the person. So what we've now had to do is we have, through Jim Daly's office, we are contacting the postmaster who contacted us to get them to contact the pensioner so that they can get on to Jim Daly's office who can then get on to Regina Doherty's office and the case is actually going to be reviewed by the minister herself. So we may have a little bit of good news in that particular case. But isn't it interesting that the Department of Social Protection uh, have concerns and they're now having it legally checked? But uh, it's the Decisions Advisory Office, I don't know if I've ever heard of this group before. I've, I've checked it with John Paul. He was shaking his head as well, saying new one, scratching his head, a new one on him. I'll have to do a little bit more investigation here on, on this one. But they basically are the group who decide the interpretation of the law. But there has been changes. But now it's not everyone. OK, uh, so it'll be I don't know how many other and more people have been affected by this. Uh, only time will tell. Mary in Clonakilty wants to know, does anybody know, when is it going to be compulsory for every area to start using smokeless fuel? She knows some parts of the city where you're only allowed to use smokeless fuel. But she's wondering, is this issue going to be going country, countywide and obviously countrywide? Well, we've been all told we have to go green and smokeless fuels um, is one of the ways of, of doing it. I mean, will we get to the stage where we won't be burning... Um, solid fuel at all one wonders so if anybody can update us on that do you know when there's going to be a total ban on smoke smoke how do you how do you say it smoking coal and when will the whole country be using smokeless coal if anybody has an answer on that I would be interested in it please 1850 333 103 with a reminder to you that we're looking for your pet questions please uh, get those in to us and one quick little piece that I want to give a mention to you seeing as we've been talking about nurses and doctors and everybody's accepting how hard is only when you go into a hospital situation you can see how hard the frontline staff work, particularly uh, the nurses. There was a survey conducted of a thousand people of the, you know, the one for all. You give them out as uh, vouchers and they did a survey in the run up to Christmas about asking people who deserves a Christmas bonus. And 76% of those surveys said that the nursing staff, all nursing staff deserve to get an extra little bit in their pay pack in their pay package around Christmas and they were the top group that came out when the members of the public in the survey were asked who is most deserving of a Christmas bonus top of the list were the nurses now I know nurses certainly working in the HSE and I'm assuming working everywhere else don't get any kind of a Christmas uh, bonus 63% of people said retail staff people who work in shops because they work very very hard in the month to Christmas they also deserve a Christmas bonus 53% said teachers deserve it and Gardaí they were all deserving of a Christmas bonus however the same feeling wasn't replicated towards politicians only 7% of people surveyed said that politicians should get an extra bit at Christmas I would love to even meet the 7% of people who said that politicians deserve an extra little bit interestingly also one in five of those surveyed said that their boss 
deserved a festive bonus. Survey also found that it was small businesses. Now, small business in this country is defined as company who companies who employ up to 50 people. They were the most generous when it comes to giving Christmas bonuses, giving on average €425. That's a a nice little bonus to get at Christmas. And it's coming from the smaller businesses. So the ones really you would assume are, you know, running a fairly tight ship and maybe are not making the biggest uh, profits. And then the larger businesses who employ more than 250 people, they on average hand out bonuses of 355. However, the majority of Irish workers say they were happy with any form of appreciation from their employers at Christmas, with 71% claiming that the actual amount doesn't uh, matter. And I know certainly, and it'll probably happen again this year, usually in the run-up to Christmas, we will have people talking about that. We'll have people saying that they have friends or family members, wherever they work, they always get a Christmas bonus. And yet we're such and such an individual works they never get a Christmas bonus and it can divide people and people and I know people who work in the public sector never get a Christmas bonus and they're always complaining at Christmas because they seem to get a bashing all year round and it's really it's people in private who work for a private company that will get uh, bonuses as opposed to the uh, civil servants 1850 lines open your pet questions please text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood uh, Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in studio. Uh, good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. Uh, here to answer all of your, your pet questions. Get them into us, please. 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 All week we've been mentioning, and luckily I think finding most of them, dogs going missing over Halloween. And we'd mm. spoken about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Happens every year, no matter how much precaution you take. Yeah, there's always a few turning up and it's really heartbreaking. I think there's been some really lovely success stories, particularly in our own practice. We've had a few handed in. We check the chip and then an hour later they wander home. Oh, brilliant. And they're really, really lovely to see. It's like it puts everybody's mind at rest very quickly. But we have a few still even hanging around that are really still looking for their poor little pets that have got, you know, worried by the bangers and the fireworks and everything going off and have have ran away scared. And there's still a few hanging out there that we know of. Yeah, and it must be great when when a dog comes in, I mean, you can come to a cat as well, Mm. And you you do the microchip, you find out who owns it. That phone call must be great to make, is it? It's one of the loveliest phone calls you can do. It really, really is because you feel like you're going to give that person so much relief and as well that pet because they come in a lot of the time quite scared and worried to you and you know you're going to be able to post them off home really, really nicely in a very quick kind of timely fashion. I think the other thing that can happen sometimes is sometimes we get very excited. We find a chip when we scan and then we look on the database and it's not connected to a number that we can reach. So sometimes if you've moved or changed your number, for example, and you haven't changed it on your dog or cat's microchip form, it can be really heartbreaking because then the microchip can't really reconnect you back to your pet. So I think a really important thing to do is A, have the microchip, but B, make sure your details are up to date. Okay, all right, that is important. Jane in Rochestown was on and wants to know, uh, can cats get scales on their eyes? Um, She says it looks like... There's a scale on the eye. Uh, She's wondering, could it be a cataract? Uh, It looks like a scratch on the glass. 
Mm. It could be a few things from the description of kind of uh, the appearance of a scratch on the glass. So kind of a scratch on the the surface of the eye. I'd be a bit worried. So sometimes cats can have this appearance where they almost have like an irregularity or kind of like a scratchy scaliness on the surface of their eye. So on the very front part of it called the cornea. Um, And this can happen if they've had an injury to the surface of the eye. Now, sometimes this can be what we call an ulcer, which just means that that top little layer of skin, as it were, on the front of of the eye, the little glass part, has become damaged. Now, that can be a little bit of a problem because sometimes it can be very shallow and it might be a scratch that heals on its own, but sometimes it can be very deep. And if you're seeing the appearance of kind of the scale on the front of the eye, I'd be worried that it might be a bit more of a significant problem. Um, What I would say is if we have, like ourselves, if we have a scratch or a cut or anything on anywhere on our skin, it can be really sore, first of all, but also it means that it's the perfect environment for infection to set in. So it's really important, I think, particularly if you can visibly see something on the surface of your cat's eye, I really would recommend going to the vet in this case. First of all, it could put your mind at rest. It might be a small scratch that's just healing over in its own time. But I think it sounds like it might be something a little bit more worrying. So I think just to double check for your own cat's safety, I'd pop to the vet. Okay, Colette says, uh, found a cat um, thriving now. But my dog, Jack Russell, eats what's in the litter tray. She's too small to go out yet. She did have cat flu, but she's been treated and she's Mm -hmm. doing fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now we can't leave her out, even though even though she's about 11 weeks old um, but, and I can't put the litter tray up high, high other dogs are fine it's just the Jack Russell Hmm. This is a bit of an interesting one. So I think you're doing exactly the right thing, keeping your little kitten inside. If it's only 11, 12 weeks yet, I think I would keep it well inside for the next few months because it's a big, bad world out there. And I think we want to keep them safe. Um, So I think you're doing the right thing from that perspective. I understand your frustration with your little Jack Russell eating the poo from the litter tray. That's a bit a bit gross from everybody's perspective, particularly if they're moving or dragging it around the house. I think you sound like you're doing the right thing, trying to find a solution, putting it up high or limiting the access. But I know that can be difficult when all of the animals are in the house living together. And particularly then, it's only it's a little kitten, so it can't you can't put it up too high because the no, kitten's too small. No, they won't be able to yeah. get to it exactly. And I think particularly if they're inside, they it's it's like ourselves if we can't find a toilet. Yeah, it really panics yeah. us. So I think they need to be able to get to the litter tray quite easily. I think there are a few things you can do with your little Jack Russell. So limit the access if you can, but give him lots of distraction because he's probably just looking for some that smells nice and exciting um, which might be the contents of the litter tray yeah, rather it sounds unusually gro- it, it sounds gross to us but it's not to a dog no it's this not is, to a dog they the think it's something very exciting and a lovely smell now very occasionally we can get instances of dogs and cats eating unusual things like stones or you know objects that they find around the house not for you know let's say a behavioural enjoyment but because they feel they need something they might have a deficiency but this would be incredibly rare incredibly incredibly rare and in in this day and age where dogs are fed on kind of a complete nut or um, a complete wet food diet and it's kind of well balanced the chances yeah, of that happening I, I, would be minimal I think when dogs start to yeah. do that you, you'll often get it some, you'll often get people saying is he lacking in something he must I be know. lacking in something it's very very unlikely if your dog is well bright bouncing around happy out I think it's incredibly unlikely if you're concerned of course pop him to the vet but I wouldn't see any cause for concern there massively I think he's just found something nice and stinky that he wants to play with so you've got isn't there something you can add to there it there is so there is something that you can add to dogs' food. 
um, oh, of that course, this is a when cat. it poos out the other yeah, side, yeah. it can make it taste very unpleasant for its companions. Can't give it to a kitten. I don't. I've no. never used it in a kitten. A kitten and to yeah. be perfectly honest, they have such sensitive little stomachs that I wouldn't yeah. really like to recommend yeah. it. Okay, you're just going to have yeah. to... I have to put put up with and yeah distraction for the dog. Yeah, I think give him lots of toys, lots of fun, lots of walks, so that he kind of gets his mental fulfilment of scavenging. And actually, let's just come back while listening to your response. Says the same little Jack Russell is obsessed with his little kitten, licks her to death. Oh, he probably just wants a little friend. That That's sounds really like the sweetest thing, it really does. <laughs> Staying with kittens, a five month old kitten, a spoilt pet who, when you're petting him, purrs away and then suddenly the ears will go back and he'll bite. How do I stop uh. him doing that? Yeah, that's a difficult one. So for this little kitten, they probably think they're just playing. And that's probably all of it. If they go from purring one second to biting the next, they kind of just don't really know or understand the boundaries between comfort and purring and being petted and biting and playing and essentially they probably think you're just another little cat to play with it is a very difficult behaviour and a lot of kittens do go through this kind of teenager stage where they're figuring out the boundaries and rules and what's socially acceptable I think what I would say is discourage the behaviour now and the best way of doing that is just to give them quiet time so as soon as they start that behaviour put them down on the floor or into their crate and say no So they know that if they engage in that behaviour with you directly, that it's not going to end in fun for them. Yeah, you're not going to. Because the more you risk, risk kind of, the more you kind of withdraw or wriggle, you're kind of adding to their fun. They think you're playing. Exactly what you want. So the best thing you can do is disengage straight away, put them down onto the floor or into their crate, say no, and give them ten minutes of quiet time. Yeah. Um, I think, although it may be moderately cute at this point in time. It won't be in six months' time when they're a fully-fedged grown cat and they have nice sharp teeth. It won't be good for anyone. I think another thing you can do is try and vent their energy really well so you can engage and play with them so they can kind of use those natural behaviours. They're kind of learning to prey and pounce on things like any natural cat would. But they're just in, the, in the wild, it. they'd be with their mother. Exactly. Yeah. And they mm. would learn that boundary very quickly from their parents. Yeah. Um, I think play will be really good. So you can get, let's say, little strings um, with feathers attached on a stick. So you're at a safe distance. And also there's some separation from you with the play. So the cat can engage with running after this fluffy thing that they can catch and pounce and chew on. Um, And you can control it so you can make it really fun for them. But there's some separation between the string, the pole and you. So the cat's not associating that play behaviour with you directly. So they know it's not appropriate. Okay, Esther's on. She has a red setter. The point of his tail is all red and sore. He's licking it constantly. It seems to be very sore. She has been to the vet who suggested just washing it in salt water. But Esther said this really doesn't seem to be working. Mm. This could be a number of things. It could just be tails being at the end of the dog in a waggy tail they can't hit themselves off things sometimes and just get a little scratch or an itch and you know yourself if you get a scratch or a wound or anything as it's healing it's really itchy and sore so you kind of your heart goes out to them in a sense because they don't know to leave it alone and he's making it worse by licking it exactly. then isn't he yeah. he is making it worse by licking it and if you think about a dog's mouth it's filled with bacteria so it's the prime site for introducing infection if they're licking at let's say a little scratch or a wound and it's all red it could just be that there's been a little bit of trauma and it's taking a while to heal or it could be that he has what's called a hot spot, which is kind of the, the body setting up this itch-scratch cycle that the more they itch it, the itchier it gets. Um, and it becomes all red and sore. I think 
I would agree with your vet initially kind of taking conservative management and bathing it is a great idea but if you're if your animal is really struggling I think it might be time for more kind of invasive action um, and getting some anti-itch medication whether that's topical or a tablet um, and perhaps some further treatment it really depends on how it looks so I think pop along because an itch would absolutely drive you mad Dara wants to know how long before getting a new puppy neutered he's four months old at the moment ah so a little puppy um it, they're so cute at that age I think yeah. they really are um, and I hope he's settling in well I would normally say six months of age okay. for a male puppy would be what I would say so that's a good time they're strong and mm. big and bold enough for yeah, an he, operation yeah he I was just it's checking it's a he yeah, yeah. exactly but um, at that point they're still young enough that they won't behaviour kind of uh, develop those male behaviours as it as one would say, that we might want to discourage. Okay, so um, six months. And if it was a female? If it was a female, I normally say six months as well. As well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For some of the larger breeds, I sometimes suggest a little tiny bit later because they're a little bit slower to develop. So even around seven, eight months for the large, large breed dogs. But in the vast majority of cases, around six months. Um, if your vet knows your dog, they'll be able to suggest what they're comfortable with. For that okay, and you breed. never suggest having a litter of... Ki- a litter, no, uh, no, absolutely. No. No, that was a, no, a very old wives tale. Okay, yes. <laughs> we'll leave it there, Jane. Thank you for that. Thank Pleasure you. as always that is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.